Woo! Yeah. I know you were screaming the TV yesterday. Why can't you? Woohoo today. All right. Woohoo! Good to be with you, right? Um, good morning. And uh, I am I am I'm stoked to be with you because th- this is kind of like my favorite time of year. Uh, the, the beginning of, of November all the way through uh, to Christmas, and uh, it's, because, it's because of what it's about. Um, I'm really grateful. Um, I'm, I'm, I generally am, am grateful to be a part of, of this community and part of this body that we call Wapak Naz, this, this tribe, this faith family. And um, I've just been stoked about what God has been doing in other people's lives and uh, just being involved in other people's lives. And many of you have kind of like attached. You, you've come in and you've experienced some things that you probably have never really experienced in your life um, until you connected here. Um, that you came and, and were a part of the gravity that is Wapak Naz and you, you came into this vortex and, and man, you, you've experienced... Um, some things that 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 are who God is because of God's people is allowing him to move in you and so uh, I'm just really grateful to be with you and be a part of of this this tribe thank you so much and uh, um, hopefully you experience the love of God that there's room for you to belong um, and and regardless what you believe and that hopefully we that you are moved to belief in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior um, and and man, that he transforms your life, uh, and so I want to I want to welcome you, and I, I want to welcome um, any of uh, our new guests here today, as well as those that uh, are listening on Spotify. We we have a lot of folks that are following us on Spotify um, on a weekly basis that that wait for this sermon, that wait for this connection, and there are people that that are connected to Wapak Naz that aren't aren't actually here. And so we want to welcome them as well. Um, so uh, I'll never forget, um, it, was, it was Christmas morning, 1980-something. Um, and th- this, was, this was the moment the Ambrose household went from the prehistoric era into the future, where we unwrapped the future. Like we literally left our cousins, the Neanderthals, and join the rest of the Homo sapiens. We unwrapped this box, this rectangular box, and you know when you unwrap those boxes and you pull these things that come out of the box, the styrofoam rubs against the side of the box with the squeaking sound, and the Ambrose children came face to face with this newfangled technology that made life worth living. The VCR. (laughs) And it's ironic that with this new technology, that our first video that we ever watched or we ever rented was Back to the Future. Man, that 1985 sci-fi classic of Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd acclaim, that was the movie that we watched on our newfangled VHS, VCR. It was awesome. I will never forget that Christmas morning. But what's interesting is that this movie, this movie of Back to the Future, 
it shows us, it actually teaches us that the choices of our past, that our past has major implications on our present and our future. And that our past can only define us if we allow it to have that power. And that in the present, if we are here in the present now, we have opportunity to change our future. It sounds like Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Who knew that there was that much theology in Back to the Future? Right? You never thought that, did you? But what's really uncanny was that we learned that um, our past really does have implications if you are not kind and don't rewind. Because when you go to that, that store, that VHS store in 1980-something, and you don't rewind your tape, you will have to pay the price, right? You know, our, <laughs> the, the, our life consists of a lot of moments. Like, you literally are sitting in a moment right now. This is a moment. And did you feel that moment pass away and you entered into a new moment? That's literally happening with you at each second. Our life consists of a lot of moments. In fact, I I calculated it, and I may be way off, but I have lived 15,661 days as of today. It's not my birthday, if you're wondering. But I have lived, or for the most part, maybe merely just existed, for 15,661 days. Many of you probably have more days than I. Some of you less. But not all of those days, which consist of a lot of moments, not all those days have moments that are meaningful as other days with other moments that are meaningful. For example, the day that I met my wife, that moment that I met my wife on the soccer field at Sydney Christian, I will always remember that moment. And that moment carries more weight than all those other days that I woke up at noon, made a bowl of cereal, and wasted the day. The moment that I met Jesus Christ and invited him into my life in the bathroom at the dormitory of Robinson West at 5 o'clock after I just rolled out of bed, literally, will hold more weight than most of the other moments and days that I've experienced in that 15,661 days. Because that's the moment... That's the day that I had received intention and purpose in my life. I didn't know what that was. I had no clue. And sometimes I still wonder what it is. But that was the day. So you have a life. And you are the sum of your moments. Some that you probably remember, but others that stick out and have a lot of weight to them. And so, 
it seems fitting today, as we're approaching the end of the year, that we look back on moments that kind of stand out for the body of Christ that we call Wapak Naz. Because we gather, not only on Sunday morning at worship gathering, but we gather in life groups. We gather in youth groups. We gather for harvest dinners and picnics. We gather to go to the Ronald McDonald House in Dayton. We gather to invite our neighbors in to have a party and hang out and have conversation. But we also scatter and do things on our own, but as a part of the body of Christ that we call Wapak Naz. And so there are some definitive moments over the course of our last year that we need to be reminded of. And so if, if you're new here, or if you're new here for the first time in a long time, or if you've been here since Jesus was three, and your memory's like mine, and you need to be reminded every single day of the things that you've learned, th- this is what we're doing. We're going to look back. We're going to look back so that we can move into our future. Because God has a hope and a future for you and us collectively as the, the body of Wapak Naz. And so we're going to look back to key teachings, key moments um, that we experienced as a body, not only on Sunday morning, but elsewhere. And as you can see, there are a lot of visual aids. Um, and as you scan the platform this week and next week, you will probably see things from messages, particularly from Sunday morning, that might spark a memory or might spark a teaching. But it's quite interesting that we started our year with the challenge to jot down our journey. And I know many of you sitting here today started to jot down the journey of 2019. And then, like everybody else who took on the New Year's resolution, you quit like two weeks into it, right? Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I want to give you more credit than that. Come on now, right? (laughs) Three weeks. There it is. (laughs) Um, But we started our journey. We started our year of 2019 with the challenge to jot your journey down. Key lessons that you have been learning, whether it's through Sunday morning or life group or through your own time. Scriptures. Sins that you've been dealing with. Missteps. Mistakes. Things that you firmly believe that God has been speaking into your life. And you've been mapping it out. You've been mapping the course of your year and God's movement in your life as you jotted it down. Now, if you have stopped doing that, this is your challenge to pick it back up. Pick it back up. And if you've never started to do that, if you've never done that, I still have several of these up here that are yours. Take one and begin your journey. It's never too soon to do it. But we came to this 
life application out of the life and the story of Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah was a man who actually jotted his journey down. That's why we have the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Because he sat down like we're doing today, and he looked back. And he reflected on all the events that took place at the movement of God in his life. At the opportunities that he had in front of him that he seized. See, with Nehemiah, it was a moment where he was in exile. He was in a foreign land with foreign people. And he was doing his job, like many of you do day in and day out. And for those of you that are teenagers, your job is to go to school and be a teenager. But he was doing his job in a land that was not his own. And he caught wind and caught word from a family member who said that his people were in disgrace. That Jerusalem, as you can see the scripture up there, Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4, that his people were in disgrace and trouble. The walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, and they had been torn down for years, at least 150. And when he heard those things, his reaction to what he heard was to weep. And then for three days, he fasted, he mourned, and he prayed. And then he went about his job. And as he continued to fast and mourn and pray throughout the rest of his days, he began to plan. He began to devise a strategy. Just in case there was an opportunity. And one day there was an opportunity as he was the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. The king saw his face, asked him a simple question. Why are you so sad? And in that moment, Nehemiah had a pocket prayer. It's not recorded, but he prayed really quickly. And then he answered the king. And he seized an opportunity because the king said, what do you want? And so what we learned, what we pulled from this story and our six weeks in this book was that, folks, whatever desperate times you might find yourself in, and many of you sitting here today, many of you listening online, probably are seeing that your situation is a desperate time. And as we've heard, desperate times call for desperate measures. But what we learned from Nehemiah was that he didn't go half-cocked and knee-jerked. No, we learned that Nehemiah stepped into the pain. He sat in it. He ruminated in it. He allowed the pain to wash over him. He faced it head-on. And in that... He allowed God time to work. He allowed the pain to work in his life. Because quite frankly, as we learned in Nehemiah, that we often, in desperate times, we do take desperate measures, and often those desperate measures are personally destructive. But Nehemiah shows us that 
any desperate measure that we take should be and ought to be spiritually productive, not personally destructive. And so, with Nehemiah, we came to jot it down. Because Nehemiah himself took the risk by seizing the opportunity that was before him. God didn't say, Nehemiah, this is for you, and you do it. He saw the opportunity, and he took it. Believing that God brought it to him. And in that, we learn that the Christian life is a call to risk. Your life, your belief in Jesus, your relationship with God, our Creator, is literally a call to risk. And that we either risk our lives or we waste it. 15,661 days. I can tell you that not all of those days were taken in risk or lived in risk. Quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, I personally am adverse to risk. That has never really been my life. So it takes everything in me to step into that. But as with Nehemiah, we learned and came to understand that not everything from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Something has your name on it. Something has you. God has something for you specifically. It is just a matter of you finding it. That is what we are charged with. That is what we are responsible to. That is what we are held to. What is it that has your name on it? As Jossie Chaco said, as Christ followers, we should be the biggest risk takers on earth. You stepping into the risk can completely transform a community. And so, less than six months later, from that January, we stepped into this series called Sent. And right on this platform, we interviewed a young lady by the name of Katie, Katie Luma. And she actually shared with us a part of the journey that she was jotting down. A part of the a story that God was moving in her life, in her workplace. And many of you remember that moment. And in that series called Sent, we learned that Jesus, after his death and immediately after his resurrection, that evening in fact, when his disciples, 11 at this time, not 12 because Judas, Judas chose to be personally destructive rather than spiritually productive, the 11 minus 1 Minus two, Thomas was not there either. Ten of his disciples were behind closed doors. And Jesus appeared to his disciples. And when he appeared to his disciples, the first thing he said was, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
Very fitting, right? If you were the ten in this moment, you have grieved for the last three days, and you have been really, really confused about the last day's happenings. Somebody said that they went to the tomb and that the tomb was empty and your, Jesus' body wasn't there. They came back and told the disciples. The, two of the disciples had a foot race to the tomb, Peter and John. And they came to the tomb and found it empty. They left perplexed. They're still in their grief, and they're still confused, and they're still perplexed. Mary actually sees the resurrected Jesus. And here we have this evening. Ten of his disciples behind locked doors for fear of the Jews would do the same thing to them. And the first thing he says is, Peace be with you. And as if there is no time to waste, remember the call of the Christian life is a call to risk, not to waste it. Jesus immediately says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Guess what, guys? Go. It is time for you to go. I am sending you. Because, quite frankly, as long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me or Him who sent Jesus. Night is coming when no one can do the work. There will be a come a time when you will not be able to do what heaven has your name on it. But now is the time, today, in this moment, and after this moment, there's something that heaven has with your name on it it is your responsibility to find it. When you begin to ask God, He will begin to reveal it. Because in this series we learned that we're sent. That you and I, we, as not only the collective body of Jesus Christ that we call Wapaknaz, but you as individuals, all of us as individuals, are called to live a life sent not remain stagnant. In other words, what's that mean? That every single one of you in this room and every single individual that believes in Jesus Christ and everyone that's listening online that knows the Lord, you are called to be a missionary. You have been commissioned to be on mission where you are. Now, I'm sure there's some of you that are new to the faith. In Jesus Christ. You're still trying to figure it out. You're still kind of clamoring. Man, it took me years to figure it out. It took me years. And that's okay. There are many of you that are new to the faith, but there's also many of you that are probably new to Scripture. And what does all this mean? It means you are the church in action. Where you go, you are sent. You are salt, light, and yeast in your community, in your workplaces. But you might be asking the question, well, why? Why am I sent? Where? And how do I do this thing? I don't know what to do. And I'm pretty sure all of us 
have asked that question time and time again. I'm asking that question today. I've been asking that question for us as a body for the last several months. What's next? What's next? What can we step into that no one's stepping into in our community? Where can we meet you, God, where you're already doing a work? So where? How? Why? Well, let's start with a why, because all the professionals say, start with why. Why? Well, that's the first question that we often ask as children, right? How many of you in this room have two or three-year-olds or four-year-olds or five-year-olds that are just unendingly and unnervingly asking you, why? 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 That's the question we all want to know. Why? And after your first kid, because you're really cute with your, fir- your first kid, you're, you just try to explain it, and you explain it, and they continue, why, why? And then, I don't know, because I said so, go away, right? Your second kid, you don't even just, you're done. Like, go play. We are wired for the why. It compels us. It moves us. It motivates us. Honestly, why did get you up. It removed the covers from your bed. It puts your feet to the floor every day. Why? It's the motivation. Well, let's start with the theological. Um, The theological comes from the wonderful words and wisdom of Jim Johnson. This year, um, We lost a good friend. We lost him, but heaven gained him. And as Grandpa said, he beat us. He did, man. Jim Johnson beat us. But over the course of the five years, five and a half years that I I got to know Jim and be in his life, it seemed like our conversations always went to the same thing. Our faith and our works. You don't get faith by what you do. And when you have faith, what do you do? Jim said it very succinctly, and I will never forget this. And this is probably one of those things you want to write down if you don't already know it. If you believe it and don't live it, you don't believe it. Let me say that one more time because I don't know if you got it. If you believe it and you don't live it, you don't believe it. Why? Because belief moves you to act it. Look around in the world. There are a lot of people that are moved by what they believe. Plastered all over the internet, social media, news, you name it. 
we are charged to not sit idly by. Our faith moves us. It compels us. But, that's the theological. Many of us want it personally. And it should be. Your, your faith is personal. Our faith is personal. And it becomes personal. 1 John chapter 4. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him or her. We love because he first loved us. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Folks, it's personal because God got personal. God got personal in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus stepped across the cosmos, wrapped himself in flesh, and was born in a manger, it got personal. God is pro-people. God is pro-humanity. He's pro-you. He's for you. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he didn't leave it there. He rose. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. That God may be inside of you. It is personal. And that is the why. Because God loved... That's awesome, by the way. Six years ago, you wouldn't have heard those sounds in this place. That's just awesome. I love it. Praise the Lord. It got personal with Jesus Christ because God loved us first. And when you, when you, in that moment, for me it was in that bathroom, but for you in that moment, when you received Jesus Christ into your life, when you invited him in and you gave him your life, it became personal for you because you received not only his spirit, but you received the love of God in your life. And that love of God in your life compels you to love other people in whatever way you know how to. It's personal. The world has moved from being humankind to not having human kindness. The world rages around us, and it is a reflection of what's inside of us. The world will never have peace until there is inner peace and that inner peace starts with the prince of peace jesus christ inside of you and so you are sent remember 
Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. We cannot separate those two ideas. Peace be with you. And as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. You are to be peacemakers in the world. The peace that you have on the inside of you because of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, you are to be the peacemaker in the world. The rooms that you walk into, the crowds that you connect with, you are a peacemaker. You bring peace into those rooms, into your workplace, into your families, into your neighborhoods. Peace goes with you because the Prince of Peace is within you. That is what initiates world peace. It starts on the inside of us. And so, we are loved people loving people to Jesus. Right? We are loved people sent to people to love them to Jesus. And to love our brother and sister in Christ as well. But as we trekked on through the year, bless you, as we trekked on through the year, the how became much, much clearer for us. Um, I took a, a really short and sweet trip to Germany with several pastors from our district, Brandon Williams and Jacob Hawes from Commission Toledo. And uh, we went to church in action. Our brothers and sisters in Christ from the Nazarene Church in Germany doing a bang-up job in several cities in Germany. And their sole desire is that heaven breaks through on earth in lives, in cities, and in the world. And what I learned at the release party for a missions trip in Wiesbaden, in a bar in Wiesbaden, in a church service in a bar in Darmstadt, in a wonderful community of Christ at a coffee house in Frankfurt, from also the refugee camp where we played soccer and all kinds of games with refugees through the Spielmobile and also through a Farsi wedding where there were many, many people from many different nationalities, many of whom came to Christ because of the couple. What we learned and what I learned from there and what we imparted to you is that heaven on earth is the church going to where hell is on earth. And to live with people who are not part of the kingdom of God. That is heaven breaking through. We go where the kingdom of God is not. We connect and relate with people who have no sense of who God is. That could be a spouse, it could be a a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be your workplace. But we go where hell is on earth. And again, peace be with you. You bring the peace of God with you. And so, 
the how becomes much clearer. How do we do this? Because, you know, your faith may be personal. And I've heard this from many, many people. It's my faith. And it's personal to me. That's correct. Your faith may be personal, and it is, because it got personal. But it sure is not private. Your faith is not private by any way, shape, or form. It is a very public faith. It is supposed to be a very public faith. Jesus was very public when he was on the cross, naked for all to see. Our faith is personal. It is not private. That is how we get to move and shake in places where hell is on earth. And as I was in Germany, I I, I shared this truth with you, this idea. Um, This, the gentleman uh, with the red arrow above his head, this is Chris and Philip Zimmerman's father, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember his name. I had a very lengthy conversation in Darmstadt at that release party over the roar of the music and the crowd. And the one thing that I remembered from that conversation was that he said, live your personality. Live your personality. Um, Folks, in your life, there will be people telling people about you and about who you are and who you should be and who you shouldn't be. There will be people telling you who you should and should not be. And there will be people trying to make you into something that you are not. But quite frankly, the only one who should be telling us who we are, who we're not, and who we ought to be is the Lord God Almighty. Live your personality. You were designed, you were created, you were known by that creator. He knows you best. Oddities, quirks, faults, abilities, creativity, skill, passion, beauty, intellect. Live your personality. When you begin to live your personality in the Lord, He begins to shape you and transform you and make you into who you truly were created to be in the first place. Be you. Right? God designed you. He knows you. Don't try to be someone you're not. Just be you. took me a long time to figure that out. A long time. At least 25 years. Many of you teenagers that are sitting here today, many of you young adults, you're still trying to figure it out. You've got to silence the voices that are telling you of who you're not, who you should be. We need to reject the should. 
and allow God to do what he has designed you to do and be. And allow him to be who he is because he's faithful to himself and he will transform you and shape you and change you and make you. And so at the end of October, we, we walk through this parable. We know this to be the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. But I reframed it because I feel like that's really distracting and misdirecting. It's quite frankly a parable of investment, risk, and reward. And in that parable that Jesus tells, and for those of you that are unaware, a parable is a short story that's made up that contains heavy truths of the kingdom of God. God and humanity. And so Jesus tells his disciples a story of a man who's about to go on a journey. And before he goes out on his journey, he entrusts his property to three of his servants. To one servant, he gives five bags of gold. To another servant, he gives two bags of gold. And to one servant, he gives one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And that master leaves. Immediately the first two with five bags and two bags, they put the money to work. They immediately go and take the risk with the hopes of a return, which is never guaranteed. The third with the one bag buries it in the ground and lets it sit there. And the rest of his time sits idly by and does nothing. When the master returns, he finds the first with five bags, has a return of five more bags, and so he entrusts those bags, those ten, to him. With the second servant, he finds that he's risked, and there's been a return with two more bags, Now he's got four, and he entrusts all four to him. And to the third, he finds that the one who buried it in the ground brought the bag back to the master. And the master was thoroughly angry and livid and called the servant wicked. And from that parable, we learn that it's also what you don't do with what you have. We have been given and entrusted creativity. We have been given intellect. You have been given a myriad of things. Talents, skills, ability, singing ability, servant's heart. It's about what you do with what you have. We in the church often point out the things that you're not supposed to do. But God is concerned with what you do with what you have. And so he took the one talent and gave it to the one that had ten. Because we learn God's not a socialist, right? It's really important that you live your personality. But you also put to work what you have been given. You have been given so many things that have been entrusted to you by our Creator, by our God. 
Bring what you have. Do what you know how to do. And God will do what He knows what only He can do. Right? Live your personality and do what you know what to do. In our one and done sermon, do something. We learned just like with the parable. Don't do nothing. There are many of us that are trying to be like God and create something out of nothing by doing nothing. The only one that can create something out of nothing is God, the Creator. And so, do something. Don't do nothing with what you have. Don't sit idly by. Do something good for the betterment of humanity. If you are not a believer in Christ, you are not a follower of God, you have still been entrusted with something. Do something with it. And if you are a follower and a believer in God, and you follow Jesus Christ, do something with what has been given, and do it in the name of Jesus Christ for the betterment of your humanity and community, and for those that are around you. Just don't do nothing. Because when you begin to move into doing something, God will unravel and show you this is what heaven has with your name on it. Have at it. And you will take the risk and you will see the reward unfold before your eyes. Because it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, you were saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's not what you do. But when you're saved by grace through faith, you're to do good works. Do good. Do something. Make sure it's good. Last but not least, one of the things that we talked about and I learned from Germany, but also came head on with us during our mental health series in September is that your presence is important. Your presence is impactful. Yes, on Sunday morning. But outside of this, your presence in other people's lives is so important. There's too many of us that feel like we're isolated, that feel lonely. There's too many of us going through crises. And there's one right now. That could be heaven calling, saying, here's your, here's your sign. This is what you're supposed to do. Do it! Amen, right? No. If people matter to God, if people are important to Him, and we're designed and created to be relational, that means that your presence holds weight too. We talked about how often we, we really don't know what to say in difficult situations. 
It's really not what you say. It's just that you bring yourself. You bring yourself because you are important and your presence is important and you carry some weight. Remember, as you go, you take the peace of God with you because he lives in you. And in an unrestful, listless, non-directional kind of moment, when you step into that, you're bringing in the peace of God. It's all right. He's trying to get a hold of you. But you bring in the peace of God and you usher that into other people's lives because the Holy Spirit's in you. Your presence is important. Just show up and you will make a difference. So, the where. Really don't need to go into that. The where. The question is no longer if we're sent. We've already established that. The why, we've already talked about the why. We learned about the how. But it's only a matter of where and how. But we already figured that out. Where? You eat at restaurants. You shop at stores. You work at workplaces. You live in your house. You live in a neighborhood. You study at a school. You go to the library. You travel. Where you are is where you are sent. Let me say that one more time. Where you are is where you are sent. Does that mean I'm not supposed to go to Africa? I don't know. Maybe that's God calling him to go to Africa. I don't know that. But I can tell you, where you are is where you're sent. You are to make an impact as salt and light in the places that you are. It doesn't have to be a church function. It doesn't have to be organized by the church. You are the missionary. You. Because you carry the peace of God. Because you carry His presence in your life. Because God lives in you and He's transformed you. You carry the love of God in you. And therefore, where you are is where you are sent. So is it really a a question of where anymore? Well, maybe. So I'll go a little bit deeper. You live in a home. That's your first space. You work. That's your second space. But there's a third space. There are places where people gather all the time. Just go where people gather. In our community, there's several places where people gather in our community. Football games, basketball games. Football games have about three to 4,000 people each Friday night. Basketball games, quite a bit less. Apparently not everybody's as interested. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Where else? Our library is amazing. Our library is a collective. There are people that like crawl through that building all the time. It's amazing. And many of our moms in this, in our community right here of Wapak Nass, they go over there. Well, because they have kids, but they're very intentional when they're there. They connect. They have conversations. They're praying for people. They're learning names. And they're looking for open doors. Third space, coffee shops, restaurants. Where do people gather in our community? 
Go there. Establish yourself. Be present. And I can tell you what. You will make an impact. You want to know where? Go there. A third space. If you don't know what a third space is, create one. Create a space that's a third space. Many of you love football. There's your third space. Invite people over. You have a house. There's your third space. So, our space, our family. Wapak Naz. Wow, these pants are riding up. Ah, sorry. Um, this space. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, embrace it. Um, so this space, this place, this is the place where we we really engage with God and engage with one another and seek to sharpen each other and to, to build up each other. Um, we have created a space, and hopefully this space is a place where people can belong regardless, regardless of the past, regardless of the present, regardless of their belief or non-belief. Atheist, agnostic, Muslim, New Age. Because when people begin to rub with the people of God, you watch out. Things happen. God gets a hold of people. But this is a place where people can belong regardless of what they believe. But our hope is that you, you, where you go, people want to belong with you. That you are a place where people can belong regardless of what they believe. But when they start rubbing against your edges, they can't not see Jesus in your life. We want people to see Jesus Christ in our life and experience Jesus Christ in this place. And then He does the work and transforms them. And they are all in. So, Next week, we're going to jump into some things that we do. The good that we do, but also the things that we do that many of you have no clue that we do. And uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened over the course of this year that are real highlights. Case in point, our baptism service, man alive. Praise the Lord. Eight-week Bible studies. They're going, man. Lives are changing. And so I'd ask that you come back so that we can, again, look backward so that we can move forward. So will you please stand? Will you just bow your heads for one moment? Father, I thank you for this body of Christ. They try new things. We failed on a lot of things. We've learned a lot from our failures. We've taken risks. We've seen reward. Lord, it's all for you. 
It's all for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, it's all so that other people can come and connect with their Creator and have a relationship with you through Jesus. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you. I lift up these people right now. May they live the sent life. Even if they have heard the sermon and still don't know how, may they just try. May they just try and do something good in the name of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we ask, Jesus. Amen. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Have a good evening.